welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 2-0 win over Granada in the second leg of the quarterfinals of the Europa League. That means they advance to the semis against AS Roma. Carl, I think this went as expected. Maybe the most relaxed two European legs I've ever watched Manchester United play. I don't know how you feel in general. That's definitely true in the in the recent past, uh, since the post Alex Ferguson era. I would definitely agree with you. Usually, it's always squeaky bum time when it comes to these kind of <laughs> affairs. I would say the only other one I could probably think about was maybe the Real Sociedad one, where it was four nil mm. after the first leg, and right. then it was just plain sailing after that. Uh, but yeah, definitely been some you know tough fixtures even in the Europa League. Now we got Roma next, which is. Uh, with a couple of ex-Premier League boys, ex-United boys. So that should be a good <laughs> one as well. Yeah, I mean, Chris Pauling is injured right now. But at the very least, we should see Henrik Mkhitaryan and Edin Dzeko. Dzeko scoring the goal that sealed Roma's spot. For United in this match, Cavani scored in the first half. That basically wrapped up the tie before uh, there was the own goal in the 90th that sealed the 2-0 victory. Carl, looking at the starting lineups and the formations, obviously United 4-2-3-1. Granada also went with their traditional 4-2-3-1. But a very strong lineup for United. They weren't holding anything back. Solskjaer, clearly the intent was let's wrap this up in the first half and then maybe we can relax in the second. Yeah, I was very surprised actually at the strength of our starting lineup. I thought Pogba... Uh, that's what we predicted as well. Pogba would get a rest and get ready for the Burnley game. He was thrown right in there. Mind you, he played really well. He had the assist for the opening goal. And then even Bruno, I thought he could have been rested. But I guess Ole wants to make sure there's no hiccups. And I think maybe that Leipzig game where you know we were down so quickly uh, and that really rattled us. He didn't want anything like that to happen. And in fact, the opposite happened where we got an early goal, which we don't say too often. And it was a really nice goal. Credit to Alex Tellers, staying ready, looked sharp in this match. Sent, mm -hmm. I mean, both both goals came courtesy of his crosses. So uh, this one, he sends the ball in. Pogba, again, the aerial route to Paul Pogba. He heads it up and Cavani, pure striker's instinct, hits it first time with his left into the far corner we're seeing again that sharpness that he showed early in the season before he kind of went into that drought and i think that's a really encouraging sign for united to finish the season strong especially when you think about anthony marshall's injury the fact that he might mm -hmm. be out for the rest of the season they need cavani firing to close things out weren't you surprised i, I saw the stat that was apparently cavani's first european goal for united that was surprising because you think about the fact that he was involved in the Champions League. And then now, I mean, I guess on some level, there has been a bit of rest going on and then the injury. So he's missed out on some fixtures in the Europa. But yeah, you would have thought he would have got a goal by now. So that was Cavani's 50th European goal for his career, which is a nice feat for him. And uh, good job. I actually would have expected that he had more with the amount of goals that he banged in for PSG. But I guess most of them came in League One as opposed to uh, the Champions League. And I guess until 
recent times, PSG were getting knocked out in the Champions League fairly early. That's a good point. And then uh, we know that with some recent stars that came in, he wasn't on penalty duty either. So that also took away <laughs> a couple of the goals. <laughs> but no, we definitely need uh, Cavani firing, like you mentioned, because Martial's not there. He's going to be in for a really physical fight come the weekend against Burnley. And so taking him off, letting him get a rest, uh, saving his legs will definitely come in handy because we'll need, we'll need his physical ability and his aerial presence to, uh, to get some goals against Burnley because you know they would, uh, the Burnley defenders will bully Mason Greenwood. Besides that goal, Carl, there really isn't much to touch upon. De Gea made a nice save in the last uh, couple minutes. But maybe, you know, one topic that I'm sure United fans love to discuss is Donny van de Beek on the pitch. And it's, it's rare that we get to see that, but he did get the opportunity uh, to showcase what he can do. Showed up with some short sleeves. That caught me off guard a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there were a lot of things that caught us off guard with uh, Donny's performance. He had a cross in the box that was in the air. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 shocked me when he sent that cross in the fact that he sent a ball that that moved more than 10 feet because usually we see him in those triangles this yeah. was a cross that goes into the area mason greenwood really should have put it in the back of the net and so i i was really encouraged by this donny van de Beek performance and i would argue it might have even been the best he's looked in a united uniform uh with the slight asterisk of uh, the opponent. You know, I, I just hope he carries that confidence going forward. It's almost like he kind of said to himself, hey, I'm just going to play with freedom. No strings attached. Let's just show what I can do. He seems to have taken on the feedback from the coaching staff of, hey, you know, United like to play direct style. Let me be a little bit more direct as opposed to being a little too cute. So it seems to have come off. And you know what? This is one of the... I guess things that come with signing for Manchester United, the pressure is on you immediately. You don't get that time to bet into a new system, a new team, like you might at some other clubs. And Donny has clearly needed some time to acclimatize to the way we play football. And I think he's, mind you, it's only 45 minutes, so I don't, we don't want to get carried away, but the mm -hmm. signs look promising. Beyond that, another semifinal for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. We can talk about Roma as an opponent a little bit. They play the 3-4-2-1. I don't know if we got a true impression. I, I tried to check out the second leg as much as I could uh, of their match against Ajax. And I don't know if we can get a true impression of what they are really like from that match just because it seemed like they were playing to the situation that the leg score presented. And having two away goals in that first leg they were definitely more defensive-minded, and that's not something you would really expect them playing at home. Just to give you an idea, Roma had 32 clearances to Ajax's three. Wow. Roma's a home team. Roma is the home team. Ajax had 603 passes to Roma's 234. So when I look at that, I say, okay, maybe we didn't really get a proper impression of what Roma, uh, Roma's real style is. Obviously, they have big history. And yeah, I think big picture for United, it feels like this is 
this is the one. This is the semifinal that they need to get over the hump. Absolutely. Ole, you can already see in his comments in the post-match conference, he said, we know what we're going to get with Edin Dzeko in the box, and so we need to be ready to defend those balls coming into the box. Right? And he knows that can be an Achilles heel of ours. We will have Harry Maguire back, so there's no suspensions to report off after this latest tie against Granada, so that's good news. I think it's also part of the reason why Ole took Pogba off at halftime, just to make sure there was no red card and he was good to go in the semifinals. <laughs> what did you make of the yellow? I felt like, you know, that was one of those... In the Premier League, he probably gets a good let go. Honestly, I thought, I thought it was a very poor decision, purely because Paul Pogba got fouled before mm. the, the arm came across. And so if you're looking at that as a referee, you should be calling that foul before, right? It's the same reason why you look at, and I, I know I don't want to remind you of this, Vivek, but when Van Dyke got injured, where Mr. Pickford went uh, straight for his knee, you know what? He was offside before, and that shouldn't have taken place. So, I don't know. But then again, we look at the rules now, and they respectively can still give you a card for things. So I'm a little confused, to be honest. Yeah, I think generally when I look across sports, the one thing, the one bone I have to pick, what's really a pet peeve of mine is the fact that the instigator never gets punished enough. And it, and so you lose a lot of nuance, important nuance and context when you're evaluating these moments. And especially, obviously it didn't apply in this situation, but when you're looking at replays and things like that, and I would even go back to the disallowed goal against Spurs, where I don't know how a referee looks at McTominay grazing his face and doesn't realize that happens because Son is trying to grab him. I think that context is really lost in general in sports, and that's something that refs really need to take onus of. Vivek, while you were you're talking about the Son incident, were you surprised at the amount of heat Ole got for his comments regarding uh, maybe his son not getting some food if he did that? I thought it was a little bit below the belt. I think when you say, you know, the way I raise my son, I think you're taking a direct shot at how someone is raised. And mm-hmm. so if I was son, son I, I know I would be furious because I would take it as a personal insult to my father. Uh, I thought that was below the belt. I think he could have made his point <laughs> in a lot different ways than that. The criticism, you know, obviously with social media and things like that, things will get a bit hysterical, but I definitely think he deserved criticism for it. Interesting. What were your impressions? I, honestly, I, I absolutely enjoyed that comment from uh, Ole. I think it's about time that he decided to, you know, make a bit of noise and, and basically his own footprint on the game, I thought he always played it a little too safe. And so now just coming out of his shell a little bit, I think he had enough, to be honest, of Spurs because in the first game that we played, Lamella went down way too easily and you saw what happened. And then you saw Son, what he did. It was embarrassing, if I'm being honest. Now, speaking to some Spurs fans and Zaman, who was our guest in the previous episode, I think what he he didn't like about the comments was that we have our own players that go down easy and Ole, if he's making those kind of comments, then he should be calling out his own players and he doesn't do that. 
And I think that's a part that I can agree with is, hmm. I mean, let's be honest, from time to time, we see Rashford or Bruno go down a little easy where they don't need to go down, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's a part I can agree with. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, even just a subtle difference in, instead of saying how, you know, my son is raised or how I would raise my son, he even says how I coach my players. Hmm. Now I'm saying I absolutely love that comment. Straight digger, right. Jose. Yeah, go right at him, right? Let's leave the personal stuff out of it in terms of how someone's raised or this and that. But if you want to get into how someone's coaching and what he's asking his players to do, then by all means, go right ahead. <laughs> no, that's a fair point. I think you, to your point, I mean, Jose has no no qualms about going after another manager. We've seen that in the past and you saw him actually go after Ole after those comments anyways. So there's clearly no love loss between these managers. So mm-hmm. that that could have been a nice way for Ole to to get a subtle one in if you wanted to. But, um, you know, some of the other things that have been in the news, Vivek, is, is Cavani and if he's going to re-sign for United. Now, that brings up an important topic when it comes to strikers. Yep. Who should United be looking at in the transfer market? Uh, we've had these debates offline. Uh, I've seen numerous people have it online in terms of Haaland or Harry Kane. One mm-hmm. is in his peak right now, Harry Kane being 28 years old. Haaland not yet in his peak. He's probably entering his prime soon. He's still a young lad who's really making some waves. Who would you go for in the transfer market? And let me just give you some hypothetical numbers to make it your job just a little tougher. Uh, All right. <laughs> if you had the choice of getting Harry Kane for $100 million, or you had the choice of getting Haaland for $180 million, who would you choose? I would go with Haaland in a heartbeat. I think he is a generational superstar. I think that highly of him. And when... I look at his physical prototype when I look at his ability to finish. I mean, to have that size and strength and still have that level of pace. I mean, they talked about how this last fixture, he clocked a faster speed than Alfonso Davies in the Bundesliga. Like, think about that for pace with someone with that level of strength and size. I think he would fit in like an absolute glove. I mean, you would need an analogy better than that to to think about how well he would fit in at United. And then you think about the relationship, the pre-existing relationship that he has with Solskjaer. I think all those things would be a positive for United. Obviously, if there's one thing that would be a negative in terms of negotiations, in terms of what could be in the future, it would be Manchester United's relationship with Mino Raiola. And so... Uh, I think that's something that needs to be monitored. But I would say almost that like he's worth the hassle. I think he's that good. In terms of attacking players for the future, I think it's Mbappe and him. And so if you can get Haaland, I think that is a huge, huge acquisition. The last point I'll make is, when, if say in this hypothetical, we talk about 100 million versus 180 million. That hundred million that you spend on Harry Kane would be like a sunk cost, mm-hmm. because there's no value that is being redeemed after that, right? Holland is so young; 
that say you get a good five, six years out of him and say, he's like, okay, I've accomplished what I wanted to here and I want to go to a Barcelona or Real Madrid or whatever it may be. There's another big transfer coming your way. So I guess I have a couple of questions for you because I'll then give you my answer of who I would pick. What is your outlook for United? Do you want to win the Premier League next year? Do you want to win the Champions League next year? Are you okay with not winning any trophies next year and signing Haaland? Where do you stand on this? I would like to see us compete. Legitimately compete. And so I would not measure it in terms of results. Hmm. I would look at it and say, I want our top six performances to improve. I want us to be in the top three again. If United are able to sign Holland and either win the league or say be in the title race all the way to the end, I think that would be a successful season in my eyes. If they were to go in the Champions League, like to me, Bayern have shown that they're obviously one of the best in the world. PSG are showing right now that they're one of the best in the world. Say, assuming Mbappe is still there next season. If they were to lose to one of those sides in the quarterfinals, I would not consider that a failure if they competed. So I'm going to throw another spanner in the works here. You're most likely going to lose Paul Pogba at the end of the season, right? Mm -hmm. You're signing Holland. Great. He's going to get you some goals. If you can't get the ball up to Haaland, it doesn't matter how good he is because he's not putting anything in the back of the net if we can't pass it to him, right? So to give you, I'll give you my thoughts here. I would rather sign Harry Kane for $100 million, sign Jack Grealish for 80. So that's 180. I'm getting these two players. And then we're that much stronger and ready to go. And then if Paul Pogba decides not to sign, we're not being held for ransom. I hate to even think about this, but if Bruno Fernandes gets injured, I have no idea where this team is going to be. And the lack of depth that we have, I just do not want to risk that again, which is why I want to get Harry Kane, potentially get a Jack Grealish or a James Madison coming in to fill that void, get that creativity going. You know Harry Kane is a proven striker in the Premier League and on the world stage. Haaland... He's showing all the signs that he's going to be a world-class superstar, like you said. It's still the Bundesliga at the end of the day, right? I want to see him do this. I mean, he scored He scored plenty in the Champions League too, right? I, I think uh, there was a stat that he has already got to, I forget how many European goals, but he... I think he has 20. Quite, yeah, and he got there faster than Kane. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the top-scoring Norwegian. He overtook some other guy named Ole. So... <laughs> So, uh, to me, I think that proves a lot. The fact that he's already getting it done in the Champions League. Yeah, so here's, here's where I... And the reason, another reason why I want to go with Harry Kane. I want to win now. I don't want to win in two or three or four years. I want to win now. Mm -hmm. I think, to your point, hey, we finished third last year. I don't want to jinx anything. We look like we're going to finish second this year. We weren't even close to Man City. So, there was no competition whatsoever. Uh, I want to, I want to win the Premier League, and I want to get to the semifinals of the Champions League. And if we can do that next season, what's going to happen is then our club is going to be back up where it belongs, 
and then we're going to start attracting those players who are turning us down in favor of the cities and the PSGs right now. And so I think these are some of the intangibles that you'll get. If you have also the Harry Canes and the uh, Jack Grealishes, maybe Paul Pogba is saying, hey, I don't know if I want to leave this project right now. So uh, <laughs> just, just signing another youngster, because you, you look at Marcus Rashford. So I think at- this, is, this is where our biggest sort of disagreement is. Because yeah. for me, I view Holland as the type of striker who you can win now as well. Even though he's so young, I don't look at it as a future investment. Like if someone were to get Mbappe, even though he's so young, he is already one of the best players in the world. And I do think Holland, despite his age, is already one of the best strikers in the world. So I think that's where our, yeah. we have a difference of opinion in that I see him as both win now and win in the future. What I do agree with you about is the conundrum with the budget. If acquiring a Harry Kane gives you the flexibility to also sign a center back and also sign a CDM to replace Fred and create a proper link between the attacking players, then that becomes something that I would say, okay, if you are saying only Holland versus Kane plus insert whoever you want Declan at center Rice back plus yeah. Yeah. plus Declan Rice. Yeah. Then, you know, that's when maybe I start to lean towards the Kane argument. Like, I completely agree with you. I mean, you're looking at Haaland, who's 20 years old, and you're looking at Kane, who's 28, right? You look at your ROI, return on investment, and <laughs> there's only one answer in that situation. But you know what? I've also been of that school of always signing the younger guy. And then you look at some of these teams. You look at Chelsea, been masters at this, where they sign a player in their prime. You see what they win and the results they get. And I don't know, we haven't done anything significant since Ferguson left. I definitely don't want to be a Liverpool where you don't win anything for 30 years. I'm sorry, the, the league for 30 years. So that's something that I'm definitely fearful of. And I think you're looking at a Harry Kane and you're looking at, how good he is. The only question mark I think a lot of people have been saying is that he's injury prone. How good are his ankles? You spend all that money and then he's on the shelf. Then you're back to square one, right? And I can come along with that one. Yeah, I feel like this could be a podcast on its own. <laughs> we could go on and on about these two. Uh, either way, I will say, and we can probably finish uh, on this subject uh, on this note. United get... Either one of these players the next season, I will be very happy. <laughs> that is a silver lining in all of this. Yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> Shall we do a little Burnley preview and wrap this up? Yeah, do you want to hand out any awards for the Granada game? All right, I guess we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Canton a caller. I mean, you know, I know we discussed it a little bit before we started this recording, but the more I think about it, the more I'm actually leaning towards uh, Alex Tellez because he sits out for a long time. He comes in, he gets a clean sheet. He puts on, puts in great crosses. Two of them lead to goals. Cavani, obviously we can give him credit for his goal. He arguably should have had a, a header uh, into the far corner for a second. He, he hit it off his shoulder, but yeah, I, I think now the more I think about it, I would probably lean towards Tellez. You've made a compelling argument, Vivek. I had Cavani, who I wanted to give it to, but 
you know, Tellers doesn't get a good run in the side and he performed pretty well with some delightful crosses into the box. So yeah, let's give it to, uh, to Alex Tellers. Now the Beckham boot, maybe this is a more interesting conversation. And it's also, again, one of those weird situations where you don't want to give the Beckham boot to a United player when they've just come off these two fixtures winning 4-0 on aggregate. Is there a United player that you have in mind? Or would you lean towards someone from Granada? Honestly, I thought it was a pretty... United just did what they needed to do. So it would it would be a little harsh to give it to a United player. Because mm-hmm. they... I mean, after that goal went in after five minutes, the, the tie was, was over. So as long as somebody didn't make any boneheaded plays, give away a stupid penalty or a you know, ball rolling under someone's legs going into the net i don't think a united player deserves it how about jesus vallejo he scores the own goal centrally i don't think they were great we saw kind of the space that allowed like cavani had all day to get off that shot and you if you're a defensive line you're looking at that and saying how, how does pogba had the ball up that high and cavani's just able to line it up yeah, so. Vallejo, you know, for the own goal and also the amount of space. Yeah, I, I can come on board with that one. I'm good with that. Vallejo for the... There we go. The yeah. So that's in the bag. Noisy neighbor, who was the best player that you saw for Granada? I think probably the same same as the first leg. Yangel Herrera did a good job performing as, as well as he could. Kennedy wasn't as uh, active as he was in the first leg. So Yangel Herrera for me. No arguments on my end, Carl. That's probably the fastest that we've wrapped up the three awards. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) No debates there. We can head over to Sunday, April 18th. Manchester United will play Burnley. Sean Dyche's Burnley should be uh, a tough physical fixture where United should lean towards having as much size on the pitch as possible expectations in this match you know burnley is known for being tight at the back in in one of their recent games they were 2-0 up against southampton and they ended up losing 3-2 that was a mm-hmm. surprising result for me so i could their last I, match they lost 2-1 to newcastle yeah they lost 2-1 to newcastle exactly so they've been on a bit of a bad patch it's almost like burnley's got that syndrome of hey we're not going to get relegated the, we're not fighting for any European places, so mm-hmm. you know we're just we're just waiting for the season to come to an end, to be honest. And so maybe motivation isn't that high. So going through the motions, going through the motions, good way of summarizing it. So I, I honestly think they're there for the taking. They might get up for this one because it is United, but uh, hopefully we can get off to a quick start like we did today against Granada and put this one to bed early. Starting lineups-wise, obviously it's established now that Henderson starts in the league, so he'll be in net, I presume. Aaron Wan-Bissaka never misses a game. He'll be uh, right back. Mm -hmm. Victor Lindelof will probably continue. Harry Maguire got a break, a much-needed break, I would say. I think it all worked out for him, so he'll slot in. And then Luke Shaw got a break as well, so I I think the back five is fairly straightforward yeah unless you see anything different no disagreements there i think uh yeah it's pretty straightforward and then in in midfield 
Scott, another one who got a break, he's probably going to come in as well. It's rare yeah. that these players get a break. It's so much easier to pick these teams when they've got a... <laughs> <laughs> and then Pogba, who played 45 minutes, is probably going to come in as well. So he'll be nice and fresh. We need that size with Scott and Pogba in midfield because you know Burnley is going to be hitting quite a few in the air. So any corner kicks that are coming into the box, we need to handle them as quickly as we can. Considering mm-hmm. that Victor Lindelof is a little suspect against the physicality, especially in the air. And then, you know, up top, Rashford, another guy who got a break, probably comes back into the lineup for this one. We all know that Bruno's playing in the center. And then uh, probably Greenwood out on the right-hand side and then Cavani up top again. What do you think? No arguments there. I think this is a very clean pick. I, I can't imagine Ole going too differently in terms of the options if Rashford isn't fit enough that's maybe the one place you look at and say okay that might be a bit different mm-hmm. but beyond that I think everything else will be spot on I know Pogba has been playing really well uh, further forward and on that left side but yeah. with the size of Burnley I think his ability to unlock from deep will make a big difference yeah and the one thing you know is as soon as Burnley play higher up the pitch their backline isn't the fastest. So if you start to run at them, they're in trouble. And I think that's what Southampton did. That's what St. Maximan did against them. And that's where the mm-hmm. goals came from. So if United just follow that same blueprint, they'll be in for uh, for a good game. That just about wraps it up for this episode. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.